Welcome to the Business Power Hour, hosted by Deb Creer. Join us as Deb talks with her guests, experts in their fields, as they share real-life stories and techniques to power up your business. Good morning, good morning. I am Deb Creer, and I am passionate about working with professionals to show them how to use business tools to make themselves and their businesses successful. And we're going to have such a great time today because we have a guest on who I think is a topic that we have never covered before on any of the programs. So isn't that cool? Because I've been doing this for a long time. So I'm very excited about this. So please join me in welcoming John Colm to our program. And hello, Deb, and warm regards to everybody tuning in. Well, you know, this is going to be so much fun, and I have to admit, you know, part of the fun is your accent. I've had someone (laughs) from Wales, I've had someone from Switzerland, um, you know, and and now we have an Aussie on the program, so very fun. Well, great. I'm glad to hear you say that. I have great difficulty speaking in any other kind of accent. You know, I I tell people, you know, I'm I'm from Colorado, so I don't have the southern thing going on yet down here in Atlanta. But every once in a while, boy, can I get in a good y'all. <laughs> <laughs> well, before we jump in, let me tell folks a little bit about you. Sure. So John Colm is the CEO of an international workplace training firm, an innovator of 21st century team retreats, a best-selling author, and a former intelligence officer. Since 1996, his combined expertise in team dynamics, psychology, math, and intelligence led his company, Team Results, to become the leader in team productivity productivity programs on four continents. John developed an original approach to increase and sustain team productivity and an innovative tool to measure the results for up to a 60% increase in productivity. With offices in Potomac, Maryland and Melbourne, Australia, John's firm leads high-performance retreats anywhere in the world for top organizations including Pfizer, IBM and Toyota for Australian as well as U.S. government agencies including the State Department and the FDA. In 2004, he wrote a bestseller on success and leadership at work, Crocodile Charlie and the Holy Grail, which is published in seven languages and 14 countries including the U.S. John worked in the Australian intelligent community from 1983 until 1993, running missions in the field and specializing in work with U.S. agencies. He left the Federal Public Service at SES level in 1995 as an operations director of Australia's FDA. In 1996, he founded Team Results with ex-fighter pilot Peter Ring, originally so that they could both advance their knowledge about what worked and what did not work with people in teams. Under John's direction, team results has rapidly grown. John is best known for achieving remarkable productivity results with work teams, and he believes that happiness at work is not only possible, but essential. His always original, sometimes unusual, and amazingly successful programs are well known in the top ranks of business and government across the U.S. and around the globe. Originally an Aussie, as we mentioned, John is a graduate of the University of Melbourne and the U.S. National Cryptologic School. He was born in Melbourne, and now he lives in Potomac, Maryland, with his wife and his son. So, wow! (laughs) Welcome, John! Well, thank you, Deb. This is going to be so much fun, because as I mentioned, I really don't think I've ever had a guest on who talked about team building. You know, a lot of times my listeners are solopreneurs, entrepreneurs, um, small business owners, but that doesn't mean that they don't have a team. You know, and and plus we have listeners, obviously, who are, uh, you know, they have larger businesses with team members. And then I always think about organizations and, and things that we're doing to also include volunteer work and, you know, other places where you might have teams. So that was really why I wanted to have you on, because this this topic really does fascinate me. Well, that's wonderful. Well, you know, let's just jump in because, you know, you we talked about your book, Crocodile Charlie. And the Holy Grail. Yes. And I read this book. It's so much fun. You know, and, and the nice thing is it's simple to understand, but as you're reading it, there's lots of aha moments. So first, why did you decide to write the book? All right. Well, I'll be delighted to answer that. You'd already mentioned, Deb, that I have a colleague named Peter Ring, who's a retired mm-hmm. Air Force fighter pilot. Uh, he's in Australia, I'm in the States, but the two of us founded Team Results together initially in Australia, then we brought it to the mm-hmm. US of A. 
And at one point, uh, you know, we never intended to to do this for a living, Deb. This was a pure accident. I was twenty <laughs> um, some years ago, twenty two years ago, I think. I was an intelligence officer at the very end of 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 my career. I'd only been in ten years, but it was it was time to move on. You get mm-hmm. you get to a point where you feel uh, your luck's running out, quite frankly. Right. And uh, I thought I'd come pretty close to the end of my cookie jar of luck, and didn't want to mm-hmm. reach in and find only crumbs. So uh, Pete Ring and I uh, ran one session for a group of intelligence officers that had to be deployed to a, a place far away um, in order to get their team dynamics in shape. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that was that was how the whole thing began. Um, we did that just just entirely uh, just entirely to get to well, Pete was helping me, but it was really to get myself out of a hole. <laughs> I was in charge. Isn't of... that the way a lot of things start? Oh, absolutely. I, I, it was a, the classic heroic journey, you know, the challenge that you don't want to accept, but in the end have to. Uh, and I was in charge. So it was it was on me. And that's what I had to do. But have I answered your question? No, because we wanted to know about why you wrote the book. Well, all right. So that was the so next... it just kind of led into that it. Was, that's that it. was the next thing that happened, though. Mm-hmm. Um, we We ran one program. And we set a small team of people searching for King Arthur's legendary sword Excalibur okay. on the shores of a very large inland lake called Lake George in a place called New South Wales in Australia. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, the intention was that they would rehearse their team dynamics and they would rehearse their team strategies and they wouldn't have to sit through deadly lectures, deadly PowerPoints and silly team building games, which... Uh, veteran intelligence officers are not going to react well to, as you can perhaps imagine. And that all worked really well. But the next thing that happened was the phone rang. And I can get more into that a little later if Mm -hmm. people are interested. But the phone rang. Basically, it was someone saying, can you do it for us? And the phone rang again, Uh can you do it for us? Can you do it for us? Right. Before you knew it, Peter and I had to make some tough decisions. He was farming at that point, having left the Air Force. And mm-hmm. uh, I had left the federal the federal government and was a senior manager in a large council. Think San Diego, San Francisco, big okay. city by the bay. Well, the two of us both realised that we were we were going to die if we kept trying to do it all. So we both quit our jobs. <laughs> um, no, neither of us was getting any sleep, and mm-hmm. we started running these team programs. And we did that for about ten years. And one fine day, and this is the answer to your question, ten years in. Uh, we just finished a program. We're at a mm-hmm. big, beautiful farm called Silver Wattle in New South Wales at Lake George, where we ran most of our programs. Everybody okay. had left. And the two of us are just sitting there on the big veranda looking out over the view, sitting on a couple mm-hmm. of cane chairs looking out across the fields. And Peter Ring said, uh, you know, all the people that have come to us over 10 years and the wisdom they bring and the ideas they have, it's not really about us at all. It's about them. Right. It's about their ideas. And all we're really doing is distilling and sharing that wisdom and helping them clarify some things. Wouldn't mm-hmm. it be great if someone were to write all that down? Ah. So I said, yeah, it'd be great, wouldn't it? And Pete Brinker mm-hmm. said, yeah, it'd be great, wouldn't it? And I said, yeah, uh-huh. it'd be great, wouldn't it? Finally, we realized that there were only two of us on the veranda and that one of us was going to have to do it. So... <laughs> You kept passing the buck back and forth. Oh, well and truly, because we were busy. Um, and I have been uh, writing for for a couple of very large publishers for, for many years before that. I, I wrote magazine columns. I drew cartoons. There are three mm-hmm. big publishers in the world, Kerry Packer, Rupert Murdoch, and Ted Turner. Mm-hmm. And I worked for Kerry Packer for years and years. Wow. So in the end, Ringo said, well, would you like to write the book? And I said, I will if you'll help me. And that was that was the start of it. Right. The start of it was a big pile of notes from 10 mm-hmm. years of team programs. Mm-hmm. So we got all the notes together. This is a pile that's about a foot high. A typical mm-hmm. team program produces a, produces a set of notes that are about 20-some pages. We went through it all, the whole thing, and decided that there were probably 32 things that teams had discovered in our programs that weren't well enough known in the world. And mm-hmm. 32 chapters was too many, Deb. Right. So we, we split them two for two, and that's why okay. there are 16 chapters in Crocodile Charlie. Okay. Well, and I love the concept of Crocodile Charlie because he is the, the a company owner who has a you know fairly successful company, but discovers that it's very different in reality from what he thinks it is. You know, he thinks he's the much beloved owner that, you know, every, and then, and, and that everybody's following his vision and his mission. And he discovers that's not really the case. 
And what is so interesting about it is he doesn't crumble and fall apart or go fire people, which was his first instinct. He goes on this journey of self-discovery, and that's the book. And and so you've kind of taken everything that you learned from all of these other people and condensed them into Charlie. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Charlie, uh, there are cartoons in the book. In fact, there is a cartoon of Charlie on the front cover. It has been said rather unkindly that the character of Charlie has my big nose and Peter Ring's chicken legs. But <laughs> <laughs> you're, you're right that he's an agglomerate, <laughs> that he's an agglomerate uh, uh-huh. character. And uh-huh. uh, everything that's ever happened of significance to uh, leaders and followers over 10 years, it all happens to poor old Charlie in about six months. You know, and, and uh, for folks, you know, we're, we're going to talk a little bit about the book, but you, you know, you really have to buy the book so you can go to Amazon to get the book. But, you know, uh, let's talk about a couple of the chapters because it was, I loved the, you know, like we said, it was the concept of each chapter was a different situation that businesses find themselves in. And one of the first ones that really struck me was the dead cat. Uh, yes. So tell us about the dead cat. Certainly. This is the, the, the story of the dead cat, which I will explain. You, you don't have to have read the book, not, not yet. But um, it is based on a true story, as are many of the things in this book. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you don't like the idea of a dead cat, we have two cats at home. One of them is looking at me right now and would strongly disapprove. Then it, then, <laughs> then it can be the dead possum, if that helps. Okay, okay. Or, you know, anything else. Um, I'm in Atlanta. We have dead possums. <laughs> the <laughs> the real situation that led to the dead cat, and this might be something that resonates with folks. I hope not, but I'm, on the other hand, I'm fairly sure that it will, uh, was uh, an, an organization, a team, that had a manager who never really addressed anything. Uh, mm-hmm. There are all sorts. It's, it's, the kind, it's the same thing that's um, played for laughs to great effect in TV shows like The Office. You know, right. Steve Carell does it brilliantly. There are issues that are never looked at, issues that are never addressed, stuff that's never discussed. Mm-hmm. It's completely crippling to the group and very right. demoralizing, but nobody's mm-hmm. ever going to go there. Right. Nobody's ever going to address it. I'll give you a couple. Right, because they might get fired. They might, you know, be ostracized, all those various all things. All those various things, and it's just too painful, and nobody wants to be the first person to, uh, you know, to, to tell the minister that his fly's unzipped. So, right. um I'll give you a couple of examples that might be familiar. Um, these are just examples I've seen in 20-some in years of working with groups. There's one person in the office who's the favorite. If they're late, they don't get in trouble. They, right. they get first dibs at all the training. For some reason, they're the manager's pal. Nobody's mm-hmm. quite sure why. Nobody wants to ask. And it's an enormous source of stress in the office, mm-hmm. um, of tension and significant silences and unhappiness, and a lot of office corridor politics and inefficiencies as well. But nobody was, nobody's going to talk about it. Nobody's right. going to put their hand up. Oh, no. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, there was a guy like this who was really characterized by all the stuff that he just wouldn't address. So the office kept on working away in tense silence because, you know, they're still professionals. They're still doing their job. Mm-hmm. But one fine day, one of the workers, uh, and this is a blue collar environment where the practical jokes tend to be a little bit more direct, right. was driving home and saw this unfortunate creature that had been squashed on the road. Mm-hmm. So without thinking about it too much, he shoveled the unfortunate creature into the trunk of his car, came into work the next day. The boss was going to go on leave for about two weeks. Mm-hmm. So this guy came in, he put this dead animal in the bottom drawer of the boss's filing cabinet and, and nailed it shut. Mm-hmm. And of course, when the boss came in, you can imagine the stink. Um, and it's not something that you can remove simply... Right. You know, that there's not a lot you can do. You'd probably have to throw out the filing cabinet and everything that was in it. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so, of course, the and it was a practical joke. They weren't trying to say anything deeply philo- philosophical. Mm-hmm. It was just, a, you know, a, a screw you. Um, right. And the boss was absolutely furious and looking for the person. Mm-hmm. And, of course, no one was going to give that person up. You know, there's mm-hmm. the classic I am Spartacus moment. Right. And uh, that was when Peter Ring, uh, who has been my business partner for many years, was mm-hmm. called into that particular workplace by the big boss, ah. saying, mm-hmm. you know, you've you, you got to do something. This is affecting productivity, help. Mm-hmm. And uh, he ran a team program for them, and that's when all this came out. And Pete, being the very skillful guy that he is, um, got them to discuss, you know, why they did it and how they did it. Mm-hmm. And, right. and that was the beginning of a, a lot less dead cats in that workplace. So that's mm-hmm. really um, that's really almost, almost to the word um, – Perhaps I made it a little bit less disgusting than it really was. 
<laughs> it was icky. We'll just go it with it. It was icky. very icky, but it, mm-hmm. it's not icky in the chapter. Right. Um, we've found a way to make it a little bit less icky. But it's, right. it's the same message, which is that mm-hmm. issues don't go away. Mm-hmm. And if you don't deal with them, they just fester, and pretty quickly everybody begins to have a slight whiff of the issue, mm-hmm. and yet nobody will address it. And sooner or later, something's going to happen. Right. And if you don't make it sooner, then that something will probably happen outside your control at, at a bad moment in a bad way uh, with consequences you'd prefer not to deal with. And that's what the chapter's mm-hmm. about. Well, and you know, you're, you're right. We've all worked in an environment where there is that favorite. And, you know, and, and of course, the problem is when it's not addressed, there's all this under speculation. You know, if it's a woman... And, and a man, well, then there's, you know, sexual implications that, that uh, often come up or, you know, all sorts of things. And, and sometimes the favorite is a family member, you know, so it's kind of a natural favorite. Maybe the, the boss has hired, a, you know, a sibling or, you know, a, a child or something like that. So then you kind of assume they're going to be the favorite. And and it does. It just festers. And, and you know, so people, you know, they, they might not apply to go to a conference because they know the favorite will go, yes. you know, and, and all of these various things. And they, they very well may continue to do their work, but they don't do it as well or as effectively because, you know, because there is that. And then there's the, the blame the favorite, you know, well, well, I didn't do this because I assumed that they would do it or, you know, all of those various things. And, and so I love that you work with the, you know, your, your clients to get those dead cats out in the open so that, you know, they go away. Absolutely. And, uh, and, and that is important. There are many other examples too, of course, <clears throat> pardon me, uh, there's a reorg in the wind. Nobody will talk about it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and yet, right. and yet we all know, uh, there's mm-hmm. a brand new CEO coming in. What are they going to do? Will they change the company? Mm-hmm. Nobody will talk mm-hmm. about it. And, and yet, you know, the boss knows something or you think the boss knows something. Right, um, and a lot of it is fear on the part of of many bosses. Uh, this is something Colin Powell used to talk about: to mm-hmm. look at your people and say, "I don't know." Uh, right. You don't actually lose any power by doing that, contrary to popular mm-hmm. belief. In fact, you mm-hmm. can gain power. So, um, yeah, untouchable issues are are, are a big thing. Um, mm-hmm. And if you are a boss in the workplace and you've just come in to uh, an organization, you had no say in what was going on until now. Maybe you came in from outside or you got promoted mm-hmm. from inside, but you were in a different section. If you notice tense silence, if you ask for feedback and all you get mm-hmm. is crickets, um, if you notice elaborate, carefully constructed politeness, those things right. are all diagnostic for dead cats. So start digging. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and of course, you know, if people don't know the information, they make it up. And, you know, and, and that's kind of the, the, the way that we've all operated is, you know, if, if we don't know, well, there, we need something to fill that space. And so then we, we tend to make it up. And then the problem is it becomes, and I'm putting this in my air quotes, real, you know, and, and so then it, you know, we, we go forward from that point believing, you know, because maybe whoever first started speculating doesn't even work there anymore and, and all those various things. But then, you know, fiction becomes truth and that's where it can really bog down a business. Absolutely. Human beings hate uncertainty, Deb. There's, there's mm-hmm. any amount of research that, that backs that up. Um, mm-hmm. I don't think we're alone in this, but certainly everything our company does, although we don't get into it much with the clients, any more than the cardiologist would show you detailed diagrams of how they're going to operate on your heart, there is good science behind what we do. Right. And uh, some of that science says that all humans, including you, me, and everybody else, um, fear is not, it is not fun. It's not great fun to be in fear or stress mm-hmm. or sadness or any of those things, but we can handle those things fairly well, in fact. The, the right. thing that humans can't handle well at all is uncertainty. Right. With very, yeah, we, we want to know. We do want to know because uncertainty mm-hmm. has, has a low survival valence. Um, mm-hmm. the, le- the less you know, the more vulnerable you are. So that's why we have this hunger for information. It's, it's um, deeply ingrained. It's probably not even learned. It's probably deeper than that. It's probably physiological. Mm-hmm. So right. you were talking about what happens when groups feel underinformed and what they do, and I couldn't agree more. And if there are any leaders listening or any people who work anywhere in the workforce, if you've been in the workforce longer than a year or two, you, you've certainly experienced this. When, when there is uncertainty, let's suppose that the new CEO is coming in, and I know who they're going to be, but I won't discuss it with any of you. I mm-hmm. might have some idea of what their priorities are, but I'm not going to get into that with you. 
Right. And so you have the sudden imbalance. Um, mm -hmm. Once there is uncertainty, what you'll notice is that those people will fill that uncertainty around their heads because we can't stand to have uncertainty around our heads. We fill right. it. If you don't help me fill it up, I will. That's okay. No problem. Mm -hmm. I'll fill it up all right. by myself. I'll just, I don't, yeah, I'll, I don't, I'll speculate. I don't need mm -hmm. you. And that uncertainty gets filled up with two things and two things only. And those two things are people's highest hopes and their greatest mm -hmm. fears. Right. So when you go into a workplace and you see this roller coaster kind of oscillation between people's highest hopes and their greatest fears, hey, maybe the new CEO will buy us all lottery tickets and we'll win and be millionaires. Yay! Oh, he's going to fire us all. I just know it. He's going to fire us all. He's going to mm -hmm. he's going to change the business. We're all done done for. When you see that massive oscillation um, between highest hopes and greatest fears, that's a team that feels completely underinformed. Mm -hmm. Well, and and it's so true that even if it's bad news, people can deal with yeah. that. You know, it's it's when they don't know that you know speculation just runs rampant, and you know the the problem is people tend towards the negative. Mm -hmm. You know, rather than thinking, you know, hey, this is going to be great. It's, oh, my God, I'm going to lose my job. Um, you know, and, and, and sometimes and it just baffles me when I've worked with CEOs or, you know, senior management who don't understand that. You know, they want to have all of their facts in a row. They want to have everything in place. Um, you know, I uh, worked for a company that we were doing some fairly large layoffs. I mean, you know, large as in right. in some cases it was entire divisions. Okay. And, you know, but in some ways they had this whole transparent uh, philosophy in nature. And so people would look at either so that the, what we could do is we could see anyone else's calendar in the entire company, including the CEO and the head of HR. And Good. so people would go in and look at those calendars. And, of course, those folks knew what was going on. And so they wouldn't, you know, block time saying, you know, going to discuss Secret layoffs. Discussions. They just, yes, yes. Look. They just block out these huge portions of time. And because they didn't say what that time was blocked out for, people went, oh, my gosh. You know, and, and then, of course, they'd compare. Oh, well, the CEO has the same time blocked out as the head of HR. It must mean they're doing layoffs and, <laughs> and all of this. And, and you know, exactly frequently right. it had absolutely nothing to do with that. And, and, you know, part of my job, I was in communications. I told them, I said, folks, you know, people aren't going to like it because we've been so transparent. I said, but you got to hide your calendars. You know, I, it's just, I, I, you know, and I said, and, and we have to start addressing all these rumors. And, and they didn't, and we lost a lot of good folks. Absolutely. And the folks, that, and you will lose the good folks because you have to ask right. yourself when there's uncertainty, unhappiness, who leaves? Uh, the answer to that's really simple. It's those who can leave most easily. Yes, those that can get another job the easiest. Yeah, my word. Um, mm -hmm. So, yep, that, and, and turnover, this is, this is where it gets real too. Um, one of the things that you'll often hear people referring to is if you think of things like, I don't know, finance, assets and valuations, um, mm -hmm. amortization, profit and loss, and clearly sales and conversion rates and all those other things businesses look at. Those mm -hmm. are often described as the hard skills. So therefore, everything to do with people is often described as the soft skills. Well, right. let me tell you, if your turnover goes from 5% to 20%, that gets pretty hard pretty fast. Mm -hmm. especially since you just lost the best 15%. Right. All really good salespeople, they're gone because they don't mm -hmm. need to deal with uncertainty. They mm -hmm. can go someplace else and make more money. Mm -hmm. And so in, in some ways, I'd like to see the term soft skills um, banned from the workplace right. Right. because there's, there's actually uh, nothing harder. And uh, I've had the great good fortune to work with some people that um, – I suppose would be, at least in the popular view, considered very tough. I'm talking mm -hmm. about special forces folks. I worked with them for years and years because I was an intelligence officer. I was their, I was their mm -hmm. guy um, for, for quite some time. Um, let me tell you, nobody, and I mean nobody, focuses more on the soft skills than they do. Right. Yeah, because they have had so much training that to bring somebody new on board is just you know, and obviously you have to bring new people on board. You know, there's, you know, we're not saying you don't, but if you can keep the good people, that's what's, what's critical. My word is, and, and, and even if you keep the same people, the, the cost of a miscommunication in that environment, mm -hmm. uh, people, it, you say zig yeah. and they say zag, uh, right. the cost of that can be, can be very high. I've experienced mm -hmm. a little of that myself. Mm -hmm. um, so they focus on it. If you're wondering what, 
if you're wondering what special forces and fighter pilots are doing all the time, they're not at war. Um, mm-hmm. I can solve that one for you. They're practicing communication. That's what they're doing mm-hmm. all day, every day. Well, and, you know, I, I, what fascinated me when I was looking at your website, um, so your company name is Team Results, and so it's TeamResultsUSA.com. Yeah. I discovered TeamResults.com is hmm, a real estate site. It's a real estate but, agency so in Utah, yeah, that's right. <laughs> right, right. So TeamResultsUSA.com. And so I was reading through the bios of your team members, and you have several who are educators, several who are psychiatrists. But what really fascinated me was the fact that that quite a few folks, if not the majority, do have a military background. And about half. right, you know, and 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 it's funny because as a layperson, you know, I only know enough about the military uh, as you know from what I've seen on TV, those type of things. And so, you know, I've always kind of assumed that there's these rules that you follow. And obviously there are rules that you follow. But the concept that military is so focused on that team building and that communication, that was just fascinating to me. You, you know what? You're right. Maybe that's something that isn't, um, maybe that's something that isn't discussed enough and, or, or clear enough in the general world. But, yeah, that's, that is what they focus on. They focus on team communication. When you get into the small units like the Special Forces, they actually call each other by their first names. Mm-hmm. Now, there are very good reasons for that that have got absolutely nothing to do with teamwork. Let me, right. anybody who's been involved in that, just they're probably listening, say, wait, 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 there are other yes, reasons. Yes, no, no. Uh-huh. Yes, yeah. I'm, I, I, I'm aware there are other reasons for that, and they're extremely good reasons. Right. Um, but security is just what well, security it, it, is. It tells you who to shoot. <laughs> But right. <laughs> you don't, you don't, yeah, and that's also mm-hmm. why you don't salute people. Right. But, um, but nonetheless, um, the the real discipline that's there, the communication, the coordination, the doing things consciously and deliberately, rather mm-hmm. than unconsciously and reactively, the thinking ahead, mm-hmm. the understanding above all else of what works and what does not work with each other, especially right. in stressed situations. Um, mm-hmm. None of that. By by the time people get to that level, um, all 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 the saluting and marching and and getting up at six o'clock in the morning and making sure that their beds are tight, you know, that's that's years behind them, right? Uh, and they're at the stage now where it's much more to do with how efficiently mm-hmm. you can communicate, right? And and the probably the most critical part of that, anyhow, my impression would be trust that you trust in your team members, and you trust that they have your back. And, you know, and, and I don't care if it's military or a volunteer organization or, you know, you're, you're on the line building widgets. That is, is kind of critical to everything is you have to have that trust and, and respect is maybe the other word that needs to be in there. Absolutely. So imagine, and, and to pick up from what you said, imagine you put a team together and we'll move well away from the military now because there are, in fact, I think, too many people who are ex-military and uh, think that they can simply transfer that to the civilian world. That isn't true mm-hmm. at all. Um, that's why we have a nicely diverse team and team results is to keep us honest right. with that. Um, mm-hmm. You know, you learn as you learn as much not to do as as what to do from the mm-hmm. military training. Sixty sixty powerpoints in sixty minutes, for example, <laughs> right, mm-hmm. was certainly a big thing in my era, and mm-hmm. that was what taught me never to do that. Um, but if you imagine that you put a team together, and let's suppose that they are, let's not make it widgets because eighty percent of the American economy is a service economy. So right. let's say I'm putting a team together to run a restaurant. Okay. And they're all strangers, but the mm-hmm. reason I put them together is they all have the skills. So I've got the right mm-hmm. skills. I've got good servers, mm-hmm. a good maitre d', good chefs, good commies, right? Mm-hmm. A good publicist, a good accountant. They're all mm-hmm. qualified, but they've never worked together before. Okay. The question is, how long would it take before they become an efficient team? And let's work on the assumption that you're in charge, Devin, that you're a really good leader. So okay. let's just make that assumption. Um, mm-hmm. But... Still, you're starting from ground zero here. How long before it's a really good team? How long before the communication is so good that mistakes with orders hardly ever happen because people mm-hmm. just have it down to an art, um, mm-hmm. computer systems notwithstanding? <laughs> right. Um, how, how long before you get to that point? Um, mm-hmm. Well, opinions vary on that, but my experience would say probably about two years. There are some who would say I'm too optimistic and they'd say two mm-hmm. to five years. But I, wow. I think the workplace has changed in the last few years, and two years is probably all you've got, particularly with mm-hmm. a restaurant. Okay. Um, the trick then is to try and do it faster than that. 
Right, because in restaurants, staff tends to turn over faster Staff does tend to turn over faster than that and faster still if they're not happy. Mm-hmm. Um, but the trick is that the whole, the whole game with work teams in the modern world, mm-hmm. in my mind, is to get up to speed faster than the other guy, given that we live in a competitive environment. If, right. I can, if you can get your restaurant's team up to speed faster than the people across the street, you'll do better. Mm-hmm. So how do you do that? That's that to me is the big question in the modern workplace is with people moving around so much, uh, with jobs changing so much, with so many pressures, people are better informed than they've ever been. How do you get, uh, there's a guy in UCLA at the Brain Research Institute in the School of Medicine named Ron Stevens, who has made a career out of studying what he calls team rhythm. And mm-hmm. that's what Ron would say if he were here. He'd say, oh, you're talking about team rhythm. And mm-hmm. the question is, how fast can you... How fast can you create good team rhythm? Right. And how do you create good team rhythm? Mm-hmm. And when we started with this discussion, you mentioned, and I'd love to hear more about this because the stories are usually very funny, some of your own experience with corporate mm-hmm. team building. Right. <laughs> um, right. I'll give, you, I'll give you a quick answer before we get into it quickly, something I think everyone listening will agree with. How do you get to that team rhythm quickly? Well, you certainly, mm-hmm. don't, you certainly don't do it with lectures. Right. Or with PowerPoint slides, mm-hmm. or with team building games where you all see if you can build a drinking, a, you know, a, a, a tall tower out of drinking straws. Right. You certainly don't do it that way. But then, mm-hmm. how do you do it? That's the mm-hmm. big question to me. Mm-hmm. Well, and you know, the you allude in the book, and or not even allude. I mean, it's pretty clear that one of the things is that you have to treat everyone equally. You know, I think the the mistake comes in if somebody thinks, oh, well, they're just in the mailroom or she's just a secretary. No, you know, everybody is is a big part of the process. And you never know when, you know, things like, you know, the the person who is on the, you know, the the lowest rung of the corporate ladder might be the the best, you know, and and the example I have for that is, you know, I'm, I'm from Denver. And, you know, big Denver Bronco fan for all of my life. And when Peyton, you know, when, when Peyton Manning became the quarterback there, he uh, initially just lived at, at the, the team headquarters, you know, hadn't set up an apartment, you know, was getting ready to move his family, blah, blah, blah. And he had them And now this is anecdotal, but I'm, I'm pretty sure this really did happen just based on, you know, who this story came from. He had the, the Broncos organization prepare a notebook for him that had a photo and a bio of every single person who worked there from janitorial all the way up to the team owner. Yep. And and his concept was, for one thing, if he saw them in the hall, he wanted to be able to call them my name, ask about their children, you know, all those various things. But he said, you know, if the, the, the guy doing the floors slacks off on his job, well, then the next person up slacks off on his job. And then it just starts going up the thing. And he said, and then the other is true also. If that person who is the janitor has stuff so impeccably clean, well, you don't want to be the person that messes that up. And and so it just kind of goes from there. But he, and, and so for him, everybody on the team was equal. And I, I just love that concept. My word, you can be the best heart surgeon in the world, but if the janitor right. is feeling disrespected that day... Mm-hmm. And they, somebody, and they do a slight, and they do a slightly <laughs> less than perfect job mm-hmm. of mopping the floor. Mm-hmm. The patient's going to die anyway. Right, right. You know, and, and you mentioned the the fact that you know I had had said that I had gone through these team building, and and it was funny because <laughs> this was oh this was fifteen years ago or so when I worked for you know a, a large company. At that point, they were in the top 10 in the world. Okay. I mean, they were a very large so, company. So, I mean, you're not going to gonna name it, but we would all know the right. name if you did. Right. right. Yes, yes. Um, and, you know, it was, uh, they they had bought into the team building philosophy, <coughs> excuse me, hook, line, and sinker. And the company that they used, you know, they, they were, you know, at that point in time, very good at what they did. And everybody believed strongly in it. But it was a lot of those exercises that you mentioned and silly exercises, you know, and, and it was funny because when I had to do this and, and they Hold gave the training, it. oh yeah, you know, they gave the training two times a year. So, you know, six months ish apart and it was mandatory that you attended. Yep. There were no ifs, ands or buts, you know, you absolutely had to go. And I had to go, I'd been there less than a month, you know, when, when I had to go and it was like, Ugh, really, you know, and, and, and it was offsite. So there weren't distractions. You couldn't say you had to check your email all those various things. But it, to me, it was a bunch of hooey. 
You know, we had to do the things where you climbed up on the table and you fell backwards into the crowd and you had to trust that they would catch you. Or, you know, you built the the tower out of straws and all those various things. Yep. And the entire time I'm thinking, I will never work with any of these people again. What on earth does this is this doing besides wasting my time? Well, then I have to ask, if you were never going to work with them again, why did the company think they were doing it? Why did Why did they think they were making you all get together? You know, I'm not sure. And... And, and and it was funny because I think it really was one of those things of, well, this is the way we've always done it. Okay. You know, and and, and they you know, and, and we had the inspirational posters from that company. You know, they, they made a lot of money off of us. Um, in the halls. And, you know, the, the CEO would bring in their philosophies in his presentations. And it was just, you know, eh. It it never, but they never tied it into us. I think was what the problem was, and that's what right. I love about uh, your training that you do is it really is something that that people can apply right away. Well, I'm I'm pleased to hear it. Those posters can often backfire in a way that's strangely unifying for the team. Um, oh yeah, we, we made fun of them. I, <laughs> <laughs> we had one client. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna name the company any more than you are. But we had one client that started producing their own versions of the posters, and they were hilarious. Oh, you know, oh. if at first you don't succeed, maybe you weren't destined for success. You know, right? <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and of course, the message is negative. But it was mm-hmm. actually the most unifying they did. People thing they did. People thought it was hilarious. Mm-hmm. So yeah, you got people together, and they did simple little team building games. Let me let me see if I can quickly explain why that is, uh, mm-hmm. and why companies think it's great, and why it's those particular games. Uh, mm-hmm. the, the reason is uh, both unexpected and unsurprising when you hear it. At the end of World War II, a lot of people just wanted to get out. They'd lost five years of their lives. They wanted to get back into dental school, you know, right. back into nursing school, back into law school, mm-hmm. back, back, oh. back to the farm. Mm-hmm. Uh, their top priority was just get out of uniform and get gone. The mm-hmm. military got worried with very good reason because they were losing right. a lot of good leaders. And they were losing a lot of expertise and they thought, how can we transfer that leadership expertise really quickly to people mm-hmm. who are career military before all these good people go and never return? Well, they knew what they knew. So that's where the whole get across a river using five pieces of wood, two pieces of rope and four 44-gallon drums, one of which has two bullet holes in it in <laughs> less than 20 minutes. Right. That's where the whole team building thing began. Mm-hmm. And back in its time, back in its context, it made a lot of sense. Right. Then somebody decided they could make money applying it to the corporate world. And remember, mm-hmm. you're still dealing with people in who the memory of World War II is very fresh. Right. So they're willing to accept it. But mm-hmm. when you see a classic team building game like build a tower out of drinking straws, or there are just too many to name really, or out, mm-hmm. of, out of cards, or pretend your plane's crashed and ask yourself either what or who you take with you, depending on which of the games you're doing. Um, or lifting a tin can out of a circle using bungee cord. If you just think World War II, you can easily see where all these ideas came from. Mm-hmm. And that's mm-hmm. all really good, except that was, what, 70-some years ago. Right. And the world has moved on. Mm-hmm. And really those things uh, don't work the way they were supposed to. Trust falls, falling backwards, that's a technique mm-hmm. for training actors. Right. And for training actors, it makes perfect sense because mm-hmm. um, we have a couple of people in the company who are actors. Amanda Bill mm-hmm. has been on the stage since she was four years old. She's our operations manager. Mm-hmm. Uh, Steve Elm is one of our facilitators. You can actually see Steve in the movie Memphis Bell. Oh. And he's acted with Judy Dench, which is more than mm-hmm. I can say. Oh, my. Oh. <laughs> actors need to know where they are at all times. They have to count mm-hmm. their steps or they're in the wrong place and nothing works. Mm-hmm. Um Trust falls are about that. It's, it's about mm-hmm. getting you to really know where you are in space. Uh, in terms of helping you in organizations, you know, the question I'd ask, I'd say is, is this. Um, let's suppose we work together and I don't like you because I'm from IT and you're from finance. Mm-hmm. So I think you're very square-headed and arrogant and you think that I'm very nerdy and hopelessly out of touch with the business mm-hmm. because I'm from IT and you're from finance. So we go off on one of these things. We do a trust exercise. Deb gets up on the table. Don't Uh-oh. don't ever do this, by the way. It's terribly dangerous. Yes. Um, ah. She she folds her hands in front of her waist as you're supposed to and falls back, and we catch you. Okay. Well, guess what? I'm not. A, I don't like you. <laughs> I, I don't. But I'm in this scenario. But I'm not a psychopath. Uh huh. I'm not going to stand there. 
Right, you're not going to move aside and I, let me go. Exactly, <laughs> I'm not going to stand there and watch you get seriously injured and go to hospital. I'm not. I'm not a mental case, but right. that doesn't mean that I will be there for you or catch you in any way in the workplace. Right, there's just no connection at all, mm-hmm. and that's what really annoys people is that is that they don't see the connection and there is no connection. You know, you teach people mm-hmm. to juggle, and then you say, so when you're juggling priorities back at the workplace, and everyone rolls their eyes. Because if that was true, then why aren't more CEOs from Cirque du Soleil? Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> you know, and and what really struck me when I was going through the training was, you know, it was it really was a lot of people that I would never work with. You know, and and so you know, now if I'd been doing some of those exercises with my actual team, it might have made a very big difference on how I perceived. That would have been much better. You know, and, and I think that's where companies kind of get caught up is they do these things that are the trend. You know, they're they're what everybody else is doing. And they don't stop to really plan it through because it can be successful if you think it through. Absolutely. and But let's take a moment also to be fair to the poor old senior manager and, right. and the HR director. Uh, first of all, you only know what you know. Mm-hmm. So if they only know the, op- the standard options, put them in a classroom, bore them to death with PowerPoints. Mm, doesn't right. sound great. All right. Mm-hmm. Hey, let's all go out, have a good time, go to Six Flags and get really drunk. Okay, uh-huh. not a bad oh. idea. There's a place mm-hmm. and time for that. But it won't necessarily help the corporate strategy. If the corporate strategy is successful and we then have a party, that's mm-hmm. the time for that. But up front, probably doesn't do much. All right. Okay. Well, what else is there? Oh, there's team building. Okay. Let's call a team building company. Yay! You're- you only know mm-hmm. what you know. Mm-hmm. And if I had one message to get across to, to people uh, out there listening, whether you are in a decision-making position or just advising or just in a place where you might, if, if you're persistent, get listened to, it's this. Um, there is the, the modern trend, uh, which is actually not modern at all, it goes all the way back to the Roman army, uh, has to do with simulation. Mm-hmm. And the only thing that we know works for changing behavior is simulation. Simulation right. is rehearsal. Mm-hmm. Um, little kids learn, we all, I mean, I'm a parent, <laughs> um, if any parent knows, how do you teach a little kid something? You do it again mm-hmm. and again and again and again and again and again until mm-hmm. you doubt their own, your own sanity. Mm-hmm. Uh, we learn by imitation, we learn by repetition, and we do mm-hmm. not change at all, at all, as we become adults. Right. We learn by imitation, we learn by repetition. That's why the Secret Service has that has, has scandals. Um, mm-hmm. It's also why they're the best bodyguards in the world, paradoxically. Right. Um, mm-hmm. They imitate and they repeat. You just got to imitate mm-hmm. and repeat the right things. So um, imitation and repetition is the, really the only way to change behavior. And the reason for mm-hmm. that is that your brain doesn't work like a computer. We only thought that the brain, we only thought that people should start to work like machines when we started to build machines. Mm-hmm. We didn't think that before the Industrial Revolution. And we now know that it's flat wrong. Right. People don't work like machines. Brains don't work like computers. When mm-hmm. a child learns to, if you teach a, uh, if you teach a robot to learn to ride a bike, it's a matter of putting in the right software mm-hmm. and fine tuning the software till it works. Right. When a child learns to ride a bike, the child builds hardware. Mm-hmm. There is an actual, believe it or not, there is an actual bike riding circuit in your brain. Oh. <laughs> and the only way your brain will build the bike riding circuit is if it absolutely has to which means mm-hmm. that you have to do it often enough and the brain finally says, all right, all right, I'll build a circuit. Mm-hmm. So the same thing's true for organizational behaviors. What do you do in a crisis? How do you cope when your vital people aren't available? How do you run a team when they may be a team, but they're virtual and they're scattered all around the world? What do you do when there's not enough time, not enough resources? There's an angry customer. There's a new boss. There's a lot mm-hmm. of uncertainty. You just want a great contract bully for you, but now what do you do? Right. Or any of 101 other examples. The, mm-hmm. the only way that you can have any certainty that a, a group of people will collaborate to a common purpose in the belief that there's common benefit is practice and rehearsal. Mm-hmm. So, that, right. so um, what we do uh, is the only thing we've ever seen work, which is why we did it. We would do it. If something else worked better, we would do that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but if you go out with us, you won't do and, and, you know, here comes the self-promotion, so look out. If you go out with us, you will not, you will not be sitting listening to lectures. Oh, um, goody. You will not be looking at PowerPoints. We don't have a single PowerPoint in our programs. Ooh. We don't even have one of those projection things that does the PowerPoints. No use for it. Mm-hmm. Um, and you will not be doing team-building games. 
-hmm. like walking across hot coals, which, by the way, right. is to do with physics. It's got nothing at all to do with teamwork. Uh -huh. Physics, number mm -hmm. one. Um, or juggling Nerf balls or building towers out of drinking straws or falling backwards and, uh, and, and getting hurt. By the way, mm -hmm. it's usually the catches that get hurt in trust law. Right. Um, right. The, 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 the head of the person falling hits you straight in the face. Don't do Yeah, breaks your nose. Breaks your nose. Mm -hmm. don't, please don't do trust falls. They're just stupid. Mm -hmm. um, you won't be doing any of those if you're in one of our programs. What you'll be doing is the same thing that the elite teams do in every organization from the military through to Pfizer and IBM, which is rehearsing strategies. So we'll give you a project mm -hmm. to manage. Ah, the project, a real, or, you know, a project that could really happen. A project that couldn't really happen, funnily enough. We might just ah. send, send you searching for King Arthur's legendary sword. Oh, okay, talent. right. Mm -hmm. But what we will simulate very carefully is what the challenges are for your team. So mm -hmm. the projects are all necessarily different because teams all have mm -hmm. somewhat different challenges. And mm -hmm. you'll go searching for Excalibur for two days and have the time of your life. But the actual strategies required, there's nothing playful about the strategies. Mm -hmm. So, for example, if you come to me as the CEO and you say, hey, listen, I'll give you one example. This is, uh, this is a group of lovely people, but they can't get things done on time to save themselves, not mm -hmm. to save their souls. Right. And we've already, what the heck is going and on? And we've already lost two clients because of it, and this cannot go on. Mm -hmm. Well, then the simulation we're going to design for that group is clearly going to be to do with doing things on time. Right. Another client comes to us and says, this group never misses a deadline. They never miss a deadline. But sometimes they cut some pretty larry corners ah. on their way to hitting that deadline. And they, mm -hmm. they, they take some shortcuts we shouldn't be taking. And, you know, we, we build toy planes and we've had them falling out of the sky because people cut corners. We can't go online. All right. Well, then their program is going to be very different from the other client. It's, mm -hmm. it's going to be to do with... Uh, maybe you do negotiate lateness sometimes if the alternative is complete failure. An on-time right. on disaster <laughs> is, mm -hmm. is probably not going to make you right. very successful. Um, mm -hmm. So the, the simulations will, will vary from group to group. And mm -hmm. the idea, of course, is that they rehearse strategies, come back with new strategies, and that gets us back to where we came in, which is why do it. And the answer is if you're a good leader and you have two years to spare, you don't need to do it at all. Mm -hmm. But if you don't have, what if you don't have two years to spend? Right. What if you want to get to the same place in, 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 in less than that time? Mm -hmm. And we did not invent this idea. That's what's all simulations of everything everywhere. Whether you're learning to ride horseback with a lance and hit something on target with a lance in the Roman army, or mm -hmm. whether you're a NASA astronaut, all simulations have the same purposes. And they are right. to accelerate experience. To eliminate real risk, in other words, if you crash on the flight simulator, you don't really break the plane or yourself. You only do it in simulation. Right. So it's to, to, it's to again, it's to accelerate experience, to eliminate real risk, and finally to give people the freedom to innovate. Mm -hmm. Well, and, you know, we have the saying, practice makes perfect, but you can't achieve perfection. I mean, you know, and, and I think that's sometimes where people fall down is they want it to be perfect. Oh, yeah. And the idea is to figure out maybe, I don't want to say, you know, getting close to perfect, but you try and go through all the scenarios so that maybe it, practice makes successful might be the, the, the other way to say it. And so you do, you go through the scenarios. Um, you know, I mentioned that that big company I worked for. Well, one of the things that I was responsible for was um, crisis management. I mean, we had a 17-story building. I was responsible for crisis management. And, and we did drills. You know, we, we actually practiced. And it was funny because one of the drills was there's a bomb in the building. What do you do? Yep. So our, our plan said we all go to the 17th floor and gather in the conference room. Now, I knew this wasn't going to work. So this was why I was doing this. So, you know, we all busily raced, you know, because we had team members from, you know, various departments, all sorts of, you know, and... and so we all get to the conference room and I said, bomb goes off. We're all dead. Yeah. <laughs> I said, we need to rethink where we gather, um, you know, now. And, and I said, and that's going to vary depending on the situation. But we'd had it in the policy. Beepers go off. You go to the conference room. Beepers go off. You go to the conference room. So it wasn't until we practiced it that we found out oh, that's not going to work. Yep, exactly. And there's a reason for that uh, as well. Um, which is that to work out how to evacuate a building quickly and mm -hmm. to work out where the problems might be and what issues you might have with crowd control, 
and there's a whole branch of science called emergent dynamics. Uh, right. Why do seagulls fly in a formation as though mm-hmm. they were one unit with a single mind as mm-hmm. you watch them on the beach? Well, people do the same, so do ants. Um, mm-hmm. To understand all of that, to, to plan entirely from theory, how you're going to evacuate your work building in 15 minutes. Again, I've been a volunteer firefighter for 15 years and have studied mm-hmm. this sort of thing. And, you know, we used to, I used to be in the old hunting terrorist business. The answer is you can't. It's, right. It is too complicated. Mm-hmm. Uh, again, there's a whole bunch of science dedicated to that called nonlinear dynamics, mm-hmm. which is very trendy right now. If you go to our website, another ad, but not really, because uh, you'll, you'll find some academic papers on lo- okay. nonlinear dynamics and how they affect mm-hmm. teams, if you're interested. But the bottom line, Deb, is you're dead right. It's, it is so complicated that the only way to get your answers is to simulate. So the only way to know if your strategy will work is to actually evacuate the building. Mm-hmm. And that's when you find out that there are all that there's a there's a problem and somehow the mailroom never got the message and why did that happen mm-hmm. and a thousand one other things. Um again, you have to simulate. If it if it's important, if it matters enough to be worth some effort, then you must simulate. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, let's get back to Charlie sure. because, you know, Crocodile Charlie, you know, he's he really is a fascinating character. And, and one of the things that I got out of the book was that, you know, when when he was, you know, he we said at the start, he was the, the founder of the company, yeah. the owner. So boss man. And then he went on this, you know, this this self discovery, you know, and, and I don't think he'd intended for it to take six months, but it did. Right. And he kind of discovered that when he was a team member. He was very successful. But then when he was back in charge, like he was at the saddlery, it just completely screwed up. Yep. So what happens with that? You know, why, why, well, you know, talk, tell people just briefly what the saddlery was and why he so spe- spectacularly failed. Let's start with what the saddlery was and we'll do it in a way that doesn't spoil it if you go out and get the book. Right. Because we want you to buy the book, folks. It really is a very good book. And I appreciate that very much. <laughs> Um, what happens at the Saddlery? Um, Charlie gets put in charge of a small team. Um, he communicates in a way that's rather complicated and cavalier and all about the task and not about the communication. And then He's he, the know-it-all. And then he disappears thinking everything's going to be okay. Well, of course, mm-hmm. everything's not okay. They make a gigantic mistake. It's a big, fat mess. Um, mm-hmm. It takes a lot to clear up, and he's lucky not to get fired. That, right. that's, that's, that doesn't spoil the, the chapter because you still don't right. know how it all happens. Mm-hmm. Why does that happen? Well, guess what? We're all very ready to complain about bosses and leaders, but some of the people listening, I hope, are bosses and leaders. I'm one. Guess what? Uh, right back at you. It is not easy to be a boss or a leader. Right. Anyone who tells you it is has never done it. Mm-hmm. And that's what that chapter is really about. Just because, mm-hmm. you, just because you know what's wrong, what you don't like, and what will be better as a worker does not automatically mm-hmm. mean that you'll be ready to lead. Right. Well, and he assumed that people understood what he meant. They didn't want to look stupid by telling him they didn't understand. Correct. And, you know, and, and so it just kind be, of all... Who wants yeah. to be that guy? Right. right. You know, and, and, and it doesn't matter what you're doing. You know, and, and again, this goes into volunteerism, you know, think Habitat for Humanity. What if the boss, you know, of, the, of your team tells you how to build the house but doesn't really explain it in terms you can understand? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, right. The walls are going to fall down. Um, you know, or it is a work project or something like that. If people don't understand, they have to be able to put up their hand and say, wait a minute backup. And so you have to have given them the freedom and the, the responsibility and the respect to allow them to do that. In, indeed. And sometimes you can and sometimes you can't. And that's mm-hmm. the major objection that most bosses will make to right. what you just said. Which just is, do it which, my which way. Which I totally agree with, by the way. But mm-hmm. let's also acknowledge the classic objection, which is, that's all very fine, Deb, but I don't have time for that kind of rubbish. I've got five mm-hmm. minutes to explain. Okay. Right. Well, Mostly that's an excuse for bad planning. Mm -hmm. But there are times when you don't have time to adequately Mm -hmm. brief people. And there are times when you don't have time to properly communicate. That's Mm -hmm. when you draw down on the bank account of trust and good team strategies that you've built up over years. If that Mm -hmm. bank account is empty, what do you do then? Uh, Nothing. Get ready for disaster. There is is no cure. You cannot be Mm -hmm. saved. Mm-hmm. So you, so it's, it's precisely for those difficult moments that you need to have made that prior investment in mm-hmm. people and team and group strategies. Right. And then you'll be well, forgiven. And, right. 
and and special forces probably is a great example of that where not everybody has all the information but they trust that whoever's in charge of the team and it doesn't matter what their rank is um but they know what they're they're talking about and so they you know those team members have built up that level of trust where they know, okay, it might not sound quite right or we might not have all the information, but we trust John, we trust Sue, and we know they're going to do what's best. And it's not just the military. You have to be ready for the unexpected. One of my Mm -hmm. favorite quotes, which I'll leave people with, is from that great American philosopher Mike Tyson, who Mm -hmm. said, everybody has a plan until they get punched in the face. Right. The minute you walk out of the boardroom or the meeting room, reality is going to punch you in the face. Mm -hmm. And that's why... We rely far too much in most organizations on planning and strategies and cold logic and flow charts. Well, nice. But the minute you walk out of the meeting room, reality is going to punch you in the face. Mm-hmm. And that's when and the team strategies are the only thing that will survive that. Right. One of my favorite emails, which I won't identify, is from company CEO to the group. This was a fairly clueless CEO that said it would be far easier for me to plan for unexpected events if you could be specific about the type of unexpected events. <laughs> <laughs> and that's what, and they and they all went. <sighs> that's when you start looking for another job, Deb. Mm-hmm. Right, <laughs> right. I can plan for it if I know what I'm planning for. Yeah, no. <laughs> mm-hmm. Right, right. Well, John, this has been absolutely fascinating. Um, you know, and 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 it really, to me, it's it it truly is a fascinating subject because I think there's so many things that come into it. And and you know, as we mentioned at the start of the program, we've all been in those environments, whether we're the team member or the team leader, where you know things fell apart or we didn't trust. You know, there was that dead cat in the room. You know, all those various things. And, you know, we didn't get to talk about your book as much as I'd hoped to, but that's okay because that just means we need well, people to go let, buy the Let book. me interject and <laughs> say that we kind of did because the book is actually about that. Right. It's, it is. It's and, about and, team leadership yeah. strategies mm-hmm. and Charlie's entertaining adventures over six months as he makes all those discoveries. You know, and, and the nice thing is it does have a happy ending. I'm assuming, you know, it's, it's, we don't know what truly happened to Charlie, but Charlie had an epiphany. Um, and, and, you know, maybe one of the easiest ways to, to explain it is he started off as Charles and he ends as Crocodile Charlie yes. and in embracing that and, you know, wearing the t-shirt and, and now, you know, we're not saying that that's, you know, the, the, that physical morphing is, is what might have to happen, but he made that mental transition from Charles to Charlie, yes, you know, and, and he's going to, you know, to empower his team members and, you know, all these things. And he does find the Holy Grail, but you really do have to read the book to find out what the Holy Grail is. So John, you know, we've got a minute left. Tell people how they find your company, how they connect with you, all those various things. With pleasure. And first of all, I'll say that if you've enjoyed listening to Deb and me and you've thought that there was some useful insights in there, well, then that's actually when you go out and buy the book because that right. that is what's in Crocodile Charlie. And there's uh, a lot more besides than what uh, we've discussed. So if you are a worker, if you are a leader, if you are a boss, then Charlie is intended to help you. And it, it has actually been a global bestseller, so um, you're following in good footsteps. Um, Toyota, IBM, Hitachi, Pfizer, Polo, Ralph Lauren, the State Department, Department of Homeland Security, the FDA, NIH, and NASA are just some of the organizations that are using this book now. So you won't be alone, is all I'm trying to right. say. <laughs> mm-hmm. how, do you find, how do you find Crocodile Charlie and the Holy Grail? That's really easy. Amazon.com. Um, although if your local bookstore is carrying it, please support them. We need, we need our local bookstores, Mm -hmm. but if they're not, then go to amazon.com and type crocodile Charlie and the Holy Grail. And it's published by a wonderful publisher called possibilities publishing. Uh, Mm -hmm. again, they're a local American publisher. They're not a gigantic multinational. Please support them too, because we need small publishers. Mm -hmm. Uh, I've worked with huge publishers and they've got enough money. The world, the world needs small publishers. Yes. Um, and they did a superb job on the front cover as well. So again, you just type Crocodile Charlie and the Holy Grail into Google and you'll get straight there. Crocodile Charlie and the Holy Grail into Amazon, you'll get there even faster. To find, to find team results, simplest way to do that is just type Team Results USA into Google. Or if mm-hmm. you're near a pen and paper, just write this down, TeamResultsUSA.com. Simple as that. Perfect. 
Perfect. You know, and, and you've got lots of information on your website. So even if you're not a giant company, um, you know, that, that can have you come in, there's still lots of resources that are, are there. And I'm not saying that, you know, you're only going to work with giant companies, no. but, you know, somebody who maybe is a, a small company, you know, volunteer organization, things like that, there's still plenty of resources on your website. In fact, I'm glad you said that because if you're not a giant company, you can send just one person on one of our programs or just two uh-huh. people. And that, of course, is very much cheaper. And we have special retreats just for that. And you also get the networking benefits. That's, that's called the Team Results Masterclass. Just, okay. just go to the homepage. Perfect, perfect. Well, I've been having a great time talking with John Colm from Team Results USA. I am Deb Creer, and for everyone out there, have a great week. Thanks for listening to the Business Power Hour, hosted by Deb Creer. Join us next time for more real-life stories and techniques to power up your business. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.